Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe and with me is Stuart Langridge. Hello Stuart. Hello Joe. It's great to uh, talk to you again. Today I want to talk to you about open web advocacy, OWA. This is a project that you and some other people have started. As the name suggests, it's about the open web, something you are very passionate about. What's the sales pitch for it? I should probably explain a little bit of the background before the sales pitch. Okay. The UK technical regulator, the Competition and Markets Authority, is currently doing a big study into mobile ecosystems. So they're looking at um, primarily iOS and Android, Apple and Google, and exactly how all of that works. Is there too much control? Should there be uh, some loosening of what's allowed? Is it too difficult for new comp- for new competitors to get in? Um, because they're interested in competition. They, these are the essentially the inheritors of what used to be the Monopolies Commission or the Monopolies Emergers Commission. Um, Americans would refer to this as antitrust. So it's that big investigation. As you've probably seen, there are a whole bunch of investigations going on all around the world on this kind of mm. topic. This is the one in the UK. And... Myself and Bruce Lawson and some others who will remain anonymous for now were asked to brief the CMA, the Competition Markets Authority, about a specific aspect of that, which is browser choice on iOS devices, Apple devices. This is supposed to be a Linux podcast, though. So what's that got to do with uh, Linux and open standards? That's uh, just proprietary uh, nonsense from Apple. Well, this is the question. So... OWA, the Open Web Advocacy Project, was essentially grew out of the work that we did working with the CMA and talking to the CMA about what we think the remedy should be here. And in particular, uh, Apple devices only allow one web browser, essentially Safari. There are other browsers in name on those devices, but all of them are obliged to be Safari under the covers. Yeah, so Firefox isn't really Firefox because it's not Gecko. It's using WebKit and it's just a skinned Safari. Correct. Apple's App Store rules, um, particularly rule 2.5.6, state that you have to use the version of WebKit and the version of WebKit JavaScript that is shipped with the device and your browser can be a wrapper around that and that's all. And so part of the goal of the Open Web Advocacy Project is that we think the Apple browser ban is a big problem for the future of the open web. And so we spoke to the CMA about that and we've started and we put together a position paper on that and we've started talking more widely about well this is a problem and getting the discussion going about competition in browser engines on iOS, about the state of the browser ecosystem across different platforms, what's important, what isn't, what's doing well, what isn't doing well. And we found we had a group of people, all of us are unaffiliated to any major browser manufacturer. We're um, web developers rather than web browser developers, if that makes sense. Yeah. And we found ourselves with a common set of goals and we wanted to talk about it. And that's OWA. Okay. And so what practical steps can you actually take here? Because it's all well and good to make a lot of noise about it, but what can actually be done to stop Apple's stranglehold over the open web? There is very little that can be done by individual people, but that's why we're talking to the regulator. And we're talking to other regulators in other countries as well for exactly that reason. There is um, a point in every tech ecosystem where um, 
normally early on in its development where people can the phrase is vote with their feet by just deciding to choose a different platform or a different piece of software or whatever. But there comes a point when um, something gets uh, larger, more entrenched into people's lives, or there are good reasons to use it otherwise, that just voting with your feet becomes an issue. You've, um, you've talked a bunch in the past about social lock-in, essentially, that no one goes to a new messenger service because none of their friends are there. And once all of your friends are there, it's difficult to leave. And this is the same thing with things like mobile ecosystems. And normally the the only response at that point is regulation, requiring some measure of openness, some measure of fairness. We saw we've seen this in the past with things like uh, office document formats, for example, where once something becomes entrenched, it's very difficult to get it unentrenched. So everyone used Word documents. Word was the de facto standard, which made it very difficult for a new competitor to get into the market because you can't seize market share because everyone's using something else, which means that you never get enough customers to be able to uh, have the feedback loop of people use your thing, they feed back into it, or people buy your thing, you feed back money into it. If you don't have that, if you can't ever get off the ground, then it's very difficult to compete. And that's precisely what regulation is for, to level the playing field. And so we're talking to the regulators about different approaches that could be taken. One of the approaches for um fixing the Apple browser ban is to require Safari to care more about the open web than they do or more accurately to care about different aspects of the web open web than they do the safari team themselves are a smart dedicated pretty much decent bunch of browser engineers but they are not properly resourced and they are not properly allowed to do the things that i believe that they would like to do and so i would like apple corporate to dedicate more resource and more attention to what they're doing. A second approach is, obviously, to allow browsers that aren't Safari on iOS. As I say, at the moment, there are a bunch of browsers which are in name only, not Safari. You can get something called Chrome and something called Firefox on these platforms, something called Edge, whatever. But exactly as you say, it's Firefox is not actually Firefox. Mm. It's Safari and a Firefox frock. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so that's a second approach that uh, could be taken because Apple banned third-party browsers. But that's going to be incredibly difficult because they have such strict rules over their App Store. And we've seen that with their battle with Epic. Yes. Over in-app payments. And they just don't seem to want to budge on that. And uh, the the fact is that the web these days is uh, less relevant to most people's lives. I mean, you would probably passionately argue against that, but the fact is Wordle, right? That came along, that was something on the open web, and it worked on any device. But people heard about this viral game, and what was most people's first reaction was to look in the app store for Wordle, and so people took advantage of that. People's first reaction isn't to look for a web app or a website for it. People's instinct these days is to go for the app store. So is it not the case that apps have, to a large extent, replaced the web? I think there's a distinction between whether apps have replaced the web in people's heads and whether they've replaced the web technically. Um, so on the one hand, 
Yeah, there's, that, that's quite a good example. Um, Wordle comes up and a whole bunch of people go to their choice of app store, whether the Play Store or the um, Apple App Store, and search for Wordle. And so a whole bunch of hijackers took advantage of that. Yes. On the flip side, it became incredibly virally popular, like almost instantly with no impediment to that popularity. Right. And so there is a certain amount of chicken and egg stuff going on here. Yes, part of the thing is that people instinctively go to the App Store right now, but would they still do that if we have two years when that's not the only place you can get things? It's hard to tell. It's hard to do the counterfactual because we have not had the opportunity to do that. When uh, the iPhone first came out, Steve Jobs stood on stage and said, the way to deliver apps to this thing is on the web. And when uh, Apple and Epic went to court, which they're still doing, Apple explicitly claimed themselves that web apps are an, a perfectly acceptable replacement for native apps on iOS. Now, in my opinion, they are misrepresenting the truth <laughs> there. <laughs> And it seems alarmingly disingenuous to, on the one hand, not actually make web apps capable of being a replacement for native apps, and on the other hand, claim that they are when you're accused of having a monopoly. Maybe they inadvertently uh, misled us on that one. They literally put up a slide with the um, the Financial Times web app and the Financial Times native app on iOS next to one another and said, look, these are equivalent. Um, and the people who built that application were like, dude, you can't use us as an example for this. Pack it in. It was... <laughs> Um, so yeah, it does, it does feel like there's quite a lot of, um, uh, disingenuousness going on here. Uh, but yes, I certainly agree with you that for certain classes of things, people's instinctive reaction is to go to the app store to search for it. But first of all, not all people. And secondly, only for certain classes of things. Do you go to a search application when you want to search for stuff? No. Why not? I don't think anyone does. Sure, some people use the fact that they have a, um, on their Android phone, they have a Google search box built into the top of, um, their home screen. And more importantly, they can't turn that off. <laughs> um, unless you install a new launcher. Which is what I had to do, yes. Which is what I had to do as well. Um, <laughs> but when I was using Android, that's exactly what I did. And, um, getting rid of the Google search box is one of the two big reasons why the other one being custom icons. But, People aren't doing it for that, and why aren't they? It's not It's not like Google didn't try. So the point here is that it absolutely is entirely possible that people don't have to be conditioned to, I want this. I think, yes, if you come up with something which has got a brand name, you want this name, go there. Uh, you, this, this is the game you want to play. Here is its name. People's instinctive thought is, I go to the App Store and search for that app. But people don't do it if, for example, they're shopping. Uh, so I'm currently looking for a sofa, right? And I'm thinking about something like a Chesterfield or something like that. And if I said to you, I've seen this cool sofa, what do you think of it? Fine. First of all, if I sent you, if I wanted to let you know, I send you a URL and you click on it, right? But even if I didn't do that, if I said to you, it's a, I don't know, name a furniture company, Wayfair or BFS or Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever, I do not believe you would go and install their app from the App Store. And I don't believe anyone would do that. I'm sure they would like you to. <laughs> and I'm sure they have an app, but nobody does that. Yeah. People will go, okay, I'll just go to thatfurnituresite.com or thatfurnituresite.co.uk. And then you'll say, okay, now pick beds, Chesterfield, or, you know, sofas, Chesterfield, or whatever. Well, I think people would be more likely to just Google search for that thing and then go directly to that page. 
Yes, possibly so. And that is kind of the additional point that people are directing themselves through search engines. Search engines are a bit complicated because well, they're a complicated addition to this conversation in which there are no obviously correct answers precisely because the search engine that everyone uses is built and operated and run by one of the players in the game. Yeah, yeah. Which complicates stuff. But bringing this back to why should we care about this proprietary platform, should we not care? Because if proper Firefox is not allowed onto iOS, then it has no chance long term. And as people move increasingly away from proper desktop web to mobile platforms, the only future or, you know, the, for the majority of users is on mobile. And uh, therefore, we are just going to end up in a monoculture, which we are virtually in now, but Firefox is still clinging on. But without any sort of foothold on iOS, that looks less likely. How are we in a monoculture? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's I think it's a big problem that Firefox is being cut out, but that doesn't mean we're in a monoculture. Well, we're in a WebKit Blink monoculture, aren't we? Those two are absolutely not the same thing. Okay, educate me then. Blink was forked from WebKit years ago, and they've gone in very different directions, but more importantly, they have very different strategic directions. It's similar to how OS X on the Mac, sorry, MacOS, is based on BSD, right? Mm. Does that make NetBSD the same thing? No. And uh, large portions of the way um, the Mac operating system works, uh, lower levels, are based on like OpenStep, right, from Next. And GNUSTEP, a lot of the API surfaces and things like that, but they're not the same either. I mean, I don't think there's anyone out there who, if if they ask for um, a MacOS machine you gave from Windowmaker, would be perfectly happy. If you said the same APIs under the covers, they do. Check it out, right? <laughs> They'd be like, where the hell is iPhoto? So shut up. <laughs> so WebKit and Blink are not the same thing at all. But the big difference between those is the strategic direction. And this is what underlies this thing. There's a bloke called um, Niels Lienher, his name is, I think. And if he's listening to this, I'm really sorry that I've just butchered your name. But he said the different directions between Apple and Google, who are essentially stewards of the WebKit and Blink projects, respectively, are that Safari, Apple, WebKit, want to make the web that we've got better and Google, Blink, want to improve the web by adding new capabilities to it. And those are both legitimate approaches, right? I can see how you would differ. Some people would think one and some people would think the other. And I don't think that's a problem. The issue is that the people who run the WebKit project also run a platform, iOS, on which they have decided that their impression of what the web should be cannot be challenged. I'd be perfectly fine with Safari saying, the way we want to make the web better is improving the current stuff. We do not want to add new features to it. No problem with that, right? I personally would like the Safari team to want to make the web better in all possible ways uh, because they have the capability to do it if they had the funding. But if they don't want to, no worries. But no one can challenge that. There's, there's no opportunity to say to actual people out there here is a different approach which you might think is better vote with your feet because in order to vote with your feet they have to walk away from the whole platform right there is no opportunity to compete in what the web should be on ios because apple have decided it's not just in which a browser decides but all browsers decide that's why 
the Apple browser ban is anti-competitive. Mm. But you ask, why should we care? And there are a couple of other reasons as well. First of all, Apple make really nice phones, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one of the things that's become very clear as we've been talking about this is there are a lot of people out there with problems with Google as well, and Mm. they are right to do so. Um, You can um, doubtless name a whole bunch of people who run Android without running Google stuff on it, for example. And Google do do a whole bunch of stuff wrong too. (laughs) So you may choose, I mean, I, for example, I have an iPhone company. I tend to switch backwards and forwards between the two a bit because I like to know how the other half lives. And because... When I have an iPhone, I stick it out for a couple of years before I get annoyed with all the things that I'm arbitrarily not allowed to do. Mm. And so I switch to Android, and then I stick Android out for a couple of years before I get annoyed with all the things which are just terribly designed. Yeah. <laughs> right? And are just confusing and complicated and annoying and just don't work on my phone and work on my next-door neighbor's phone because we have different forks of the underlying Android from different vendors and how I get 30 seconds of support and by the time I'm back to my flat after buying a phone in the shop, it's already had its last version of Android, right? So there are ups and downs on both sides, but Apple make really nice hardware. And I would like to be able to, and even if I don't think this, lots of people out there do, and I would like to be able to deliver the best web experience to them on the best hardware on the market. And at the moment, I can't do that because I have to choose a subpar web experience. But also, for those of us out there who are not just developers, but if you run a company of some kind or a service of some kind, so you want to interact with people over the internet somehow, whether that's because... Uh, you want to sell them clothes or you want to enable them to talk to your customer service people or you want to help them set up a business or whatever it is that you do which has customers you probably have some kind of interaction with them over the internet and it's dramatically cheaper for you if you can do that on the web because you only have to build it once and it works for everybody. If you have to build an iOS app and an Android app and a desktop app and a web app, that's loads more money for you. And it's it's loads more attention you have to pay to this or it's loads less attention you pay to any one thing, which makes it more difficult for you to work with your people, work with your customers, work with your employees, whatever. So the web is the great leveler but only if it's actually allowed to be competent. All right. Well, if people want to find out more about this and how they can help, what do you suggest they do? Presumably go to the website, first of all. Go to the website, yes. Open-web-advocacy.org. There is a Discord chat, (laughs) which is uh, apparently the thing now. But yeah, get involved. And there's a lot of discussion going on on this uh, on things like Twitter But the other thing is to talk to your regulators, talk to your legislators in your country. So the CMA here in the UK, the period for communicating with them in this round has closed, but they're very interested in hearing from real people. They don't just want to hear from people with an axe to grind in this. They don't just want to hear from browser vendors about what the government should do about browser vendors. They're really interested in people to say, yeah, my company tried to build an app and couldn't do it for this reason. And honestly, I kind of expected the government regulators to be composed of a whole bunch of buffed and toughed and 75-year-old retired colonels who'd be um, unsure how to make things bold and say, what's this? People have... People have uh, software on phones now goodness gracious um and it's totally not like that (laughs) 
they were um they were engaged knowledgeable really interested in speaking to us um i learned some things off of them talking to them and they were really keen on having us i've got we've gone back to talk to them again since and we're going to again in the future they are genuinely interested in properly understanding the issues that we have with technology with monopoly with software on different platforms they want to hear and they want to get that input so talk to your regulators talk to your legislators talk to your representatives galvanize support for change in your jurisdiction and have a look at openwebadvocacy.org um there's a position paper there and we've got another one coming out but yeah just get involved I i am more interested in people having and sharing an opinion on this even if it's one that i happen to disagree with than the alternative because if the conversation is going about this that's good Okay, well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Anything else you want to plug, like your consultancy or Bad Voltage or anything? Oh, blimey. Um, well, I mean, obviously, if what you'd like is um, for me to come and um, talk to your company or uh, work with you on any of um, the stuff that I do, have a look at cryogenics.org, uh, which is K-R-Y-O-G-E-N-I-X.org. Um, but mostly, um, I'm sort of Twitter. I'm at S-I-L on Twitter. And yeah, you can listen to Bad Voltage as well, which is um, our podcast, um, fortnightly podcast about technology, badvoltage.org. Right, well, thanks a lot for joining me and uh, hopefully speak to you again at some point. Thank you for having me on. 